0: Good morning and welcome to the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy's live weekly broadcast. I'm Roberta Oster, the Communications Director. Our program focuses on economic, racial, social and environmental justice policy. And we are grateful for the expertise and perspective of faith leaders, policy experts, legislators and community leaders. Our program shares opportunities for you to get involved in our work advancing social justice and helping our neighbors. And we will keep you up to date and keep our elected officials accountable. This broadcast is interactive. We really care what you think and we would love for you to ask questions during the show. Please write in your questions on our Facebook feed. Today, we're going to be addressing a critical issue, the crisis of evictions in Virginia. And I am pleased to introduce our guests. Reverend Dante McCutcheon of the Love Cathedral Community Church in Richmond, Phil Story, who is an attorney with the Virginia Poverty Law Center, and Elaine Poon, who is an attorney with the Legal Aid Justice Center. Thank you all for being with us today. And now I'm pleased to introduce our moderator, my colleague and friend, Jace Hatcher, who is the Welcoming All Program Coordinator for the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. Jace.
1: Thank you so much, Roberta. And thank you all for being here with us today. Uh, So I'd really like to start by talking about where we're at right now why is there a looming eviction crisis? I think a lot of people were under the impression that there was an eviction moratorium. So
2: what happened? Um, This is Elaine, and um, thank you all so much for the work you do and for having us talk about this important issue. I just thought I would go over a bit of the timeline of how we got here. You know, our executive director, Angela Cholfi, summed it up perfectly the other day when she said, there has been kind of a little um, game of not it, for those of you who have kids, um, when it comes to Virginians losing their homes during the pandemic. Um, It's kind of been a back and forth with the governor and the Supreme Court. So back when the pandemic kind of um, really hit around, um, you know, mid-March, the governor issued a state of emergency and the Supreme Court followed suit and um, issued a similar order that closed down all the courts to non-emergency hearings. And with some advocacy from the legal aid community, the Supreme Court also included evictions in the closure of the court. That means that people could not come landlords could not hear evictions in the courtrooms. Um, however, you know, some of you may remember the governor started to signal that he was going to reopen the state. some of his press conferences and almost immediately afterwards the supreme court lifted that essentially that moratorium or that court closure and allowed evictions to be heard in courts across virginia starting may 18th and those few weeks you know i've done legal aid work for a long time um were probably one of the most frightening weeks that we've seen as legal aid attorneys um attorneys were in court with their tenants um clients we were risking their lives basically to attend court. Um, we witnessed dozens of tenants receive eviction judgments. Some of them were default judgments because um, they didn't show up. And we don't know why they didn't show up. Were they scared of receiving, you know, contracting COVID? Did they not receive notice about court? Um, so, across the state, including um, this group, Virginia Interfaith Center, with the Coalition for Immigrant Rights, pushed the governor to do something about it. And we actually pushed for the same thing that we're pushing for now, which is to stop um, evictions through an executive order. And instead he went back to the Supreme Court and asked them to hold off on hearings again. So then there was a back and forth again, we had a short lived victory on June 8th until June 29th, we had another eviction moratorium. But then the Supreme Court let that lapse and refused to extend that moratorium Today, or yesterday, marked the one-month mark of evictions being heard um, in the courtrooms uh, during a pandemic. And so based on our court records, over 2,300 households have now lost their homes just in this past month because of this reopening.
0: Thank you
1: so much for sharing that, Elaine. That is harrowing. Phil, did you want to add to that? Yeah.
3: Yeah, so one thing I think um, that th- there has been an eviction crisis in Virginia for years, and that was something that a couple of years ago in April 2018 um, really sort of literally hit the front page of the New York, New York Times, and so started getting more attention um, with policymakers and things like that, um, and and we've done stuff as a result of that, but then, you um, but then this pandemic and the economic collapse have really supercharged the crisis that we already had, and so um, there was there has always been a, a desperate need to address the, the underlying factors that are making people so insecure in their their housing, renters specifically. But um, but it's just you know it's sort of an order of magnitude greater now um, than it was before.
1: Thank you for highlighting that. Are there estimates on the number of Virginians at risk of losing their housing during the pandemic?
2: This number has been pretty difficult to come up with. Um, so the U.S. Census has actually put out a household pulse survey. That's kind of the closest thing that we've found in terms of numbers. And they estimate 384,000 households. Um, you know, right now, the... Cases pending in court are almost 10,000 on the docket. But with the CARES Act expiring and um, landlords being allowed to initiate evictions starting this week, and then unemployment benefits decreasing um, very soon as well, I have a feeling that data is going to, you know, those numbers might be larger. Um, also, there's a lot of data had already coming out that talk about how communities of color are being hit so much harder than the rest of the nation, than the rest of Virginia. Um, And so, you know, that household pulse survey is showing clear disproportionate impacts for these households.
3: Yeah, and I think to put in perspective the numbers of, I mean, hundreds of thousands of Virginians in the next few months that are at risk of eviction, um, historically, so for the past decade, since the Great Recession, um, general district courts in Virginia have heard an average of about thirteen thousand uh, eviction cases every month. Um, so, for the numbers we're looking at, if those numbers are are correct, we're talking about you know many tens of thousands of uh, eviction cases every month. Now, before I think the courts would tell you that they were pretty much running at capacity. It's not like they there were a lot of court clerks you know sitting around. Um, Uh, doing nothing and, um, and not a lot of courtrooms, you know, that were, um, that were just, uh, you know, not utilized. And that was before we needed to worry about social distancing, about, um, you know, the, the um, sanitizing and things like that. And before, you know, people would be afraid to come to court specifically because either they're symptomatic or they're, you know, high risk or whatever. And so, I think, I have no idea how the courts um, are going to be able to manage, I, it's hard for me to imagine um, how the courts are going to be able to manage, you know, 70,000 cases in a month when the most they've done in the past is, you know, 18,000 cases in a, a really bad month. And what what that means too is that, um, is that people who desperately need the protections of the laws and um, both federal and state protections are going to have a really hard time getting those that are are their rights because they're going to be afraid to go to court, or they're going to go to court and they're going to you know end up in a in a waiting room that is um, that is overcrowded, and they're going to leave to protect their you know their loved ones at home or whatever. Um, or you know the judges are going to have really heavy dockets, and um, and they're going to need to figure out how to manage those in a way that's fair to people. As well as safe, it's it's going to be. Um, I have a hard time imagining what that's going to be like,
1: Reverend Dante. That's a that's a weighty a weighty discussion we just had. But I just wanted to to have the opportunity for you to weigh in on some of the discussions that you are hearing, whether in your congregation or in the communities that you serve, uh, about how folks are feeling during the pandemic and the level of housing insecurity that people are facing right now?
4: Well, um, people are afraid, people are worried, people are nervous, you know, furious, Um, basically because, as you know, as the brother has already said, this is not new. It's kind of already been here. This crisis has been here. This disparity Um, it was pre virus, it was pre you know, COVID 19. A lot of this was going on already, and so um, people are kind of worried about some things and they're trying to figure out, you know, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How is our city going to help us? How is you know, our state going to help us? Is there money? Is there more money? And what about the money that was, pre- was already there? You know, did they use it properly? You know, these are the discussions that are going on and these are the concerns that are, you know, happening amongst us. And so, um, you know, that's basically what I'm hearing in as far as the discussions are concerned. Thank you for that. Um, Lane, you gave an estimate, you know, you did say that it is
1: difficult to crunch the numbers, right, on on who is potentially at risk and how many individuals. Um, but I know that some of us have heard also of a rent relief program to speak to what Reverend Dante was speaking of. I believe the number was $50 million. Um, but with the numbers that you have given, I'm quickly doing some math in my head and 50 million doesn't seem like enough.
2: It's not enough at all. Um, You know, I was just thinking, hearing Reverend Dante talk about these, the fear and where is the money question. I I think a lot about how, one of the first things we heard about when the pandemic hit was how all small businesses received um, all of this relief because people were so worried about the economy. Um, and so I think it's fair and I think it's it makes sense for a similar relief um, program to be um, available to regular Virginians. Um, that 50 million dollars is not enough. So the governor's own housing department actually requested 200 million dollars in rent relief. Even um, that's not enough. So the National Low Income Housing Coalition and um, has actually come up with the number two point three billion dollars for the rest of the, for the um, coming year, right? So that's a 12 month estimation. Um, And the Commonwealth Institute fact-checked that number and they were very, they felt secure about that number. Um, And it's actually lower than what we need, which is um, very difficult to wrap our heads around, but $2.3 billion for the next 12 months is actually based on people who are already cost burdened. That means just like Phil said, We we were already in an eviction crisis before the pandemic hit. There were already $2.3 billion worth of need in this community in Virginia. And um, that just doesn't account for all the people who have lost their jobs, who have not been able to work because they got sick, because their kids are stuck at home, because they can't go to school. So I think that number is gonna be a lot bigger, and which is why our group has been asking for 1 billion to the end of the year. At $1 billion,
1: and the estimate is $2.3 billion, uh, for 12 months. That's significantly more. Um, I've heard a couple of comments now mentioned, Reverend Dante and also Phil, um, it seems like this crisis of evictions did not come out of nowhere, and even for all the unpredictability that COVID has posed. Um, would any of you like to speak to some of the pre existing conditions in Virginia that have contributed to where we are now with evictions?
3: So, I mean, I can tell you what, um, what I see. So, one of the things, um, so I'm a housing attorney at the Virginia Poverty Law Center, and I also run the statewide eviction legal helpline, which is a service for anyone in Virginia who's a, a renter who's facing potential eviction. They can get in touch with us. Um, they can call 1-833-NO-EVICT or they can go to evictionhelpline.org. And so um, we he- we hear cases, we hear from people all around the state. Um, and one of the things that really strikes me is there's just simply not enough affordable housing for low-income people. You know, we saw recently in, in Richmond, there was a, a big proposed development in downtown called the Navy Hill Development Proposal, and the developers were called, were. Um, proposing affordable housing, but it meant housing that's affordable for folks who are solidly middle class. Um, there was nothing for the people who, who are low income. And so at the same time, we're seeing Richmond Redevelopment and Housing Authority and other public housing authorities um, around the state and around the country um, are really planning for to reduce the stock of public housing and leave low income folks with fewer and fewer options. That's a crisis, that's a long-term crisis. It's a tectonic shift that's been going on for a long time. And we're really gonna, you know, that that is one of the things that is is—is fueling this. A couple of other quick things, evictions fuel a downward spiral in housing options. So when somebody gets evicted and the court records reflect that, then the next place they go, they submit an application and the landlord uses a tenant screening company, kind of like a credit reporting company to decide whether this person is somebody that they would want to rent to. So the more evictions you have, the less desirable options you're going to have, and you end up with more exploitative landlords um, in worse physical conditions, sometimes in more dangerous neighborhoods, and it just is a downward spiral that um, this is why Matthew Desmond's book, Eviction uh, um, Evicted, was um, was so eye opening. Is is he, he was saying this is evictions are a cause of poverty, not just a result of poverty. And then finally, um, as as has been mentioned, as Elaine mentioned, you know the RVA eviction lab findings from here at VCU show that even controlling for other factors. Um, the biggest factor for whether or not uh, a family is likely to face eviction is their race. If they're African-American, they are more likely, even controlling for all the other things. We need to figure out why that is and remedy that because um, the, you know we, we just cannot let that stand.
1: Yeah, I wanted to open the floor to Reverend Dante um, as well. Um, you were nodding your head a little bit When Phil was seeing some of that, is there anything you'd like to add?
4: Well, when we talk about um, you know, poverty, we um I'm looking at the fact that we're in the midst of a global pandemic and we're talking about evictions. We're talking about evictions which, you know, may lead to homelessness and you know, struggle with different things when it comes to, you know, eviction. Where do I sleep? Where do I eat? Can I can I go to work? You know, am I am I able to be
0: I apologize. I think we have a little bit of a
1: freeze on Reverend Dante. Reverend Dante, can you hear us?
4: Yeah, I can hear you. Did I go out or something? I apologize. So, you know, the, the shelters will they will begin to flood. And, you know, and the the shelters flood, then the social distancing, it goes out the window. So now we have more poverty, we have more disease, and we understand that, you know, Black Americans, you know, we've been suffering from um, discrimination around public policies, including housing. So this you know this is a big deal for me and it's a big deal for um the community and as a pastor as a person of faith you know I just believe that you know, we have to fight and we have to speak up and we have to say something about this. And he said, well, why is this happening? We know why it's happening. It's because of the color of our skin. You know, we are looked at, you know, the value of being black and brown is just so low. And so that's what's happening here. And I don't want to really get into scriptures and things of that nature because I'll start preaching. So I'm going to just be quiet right now, but I will say that he who oppo- opposes the poor, shows contempt for their maker but whoever is kind to the needy honors god and i think this is a time where our state our country we need to honor god and we need to make provisions for the poor we need to make provisions for the needing so i'm gonna be quiet now
1: please don't be quiet we <laughs> so appreciate that right um, I think you've highlighted something really important, both Phil and Reverend Dante. Um, you know, even when we're looking at COVID data currently, when it's when it's broken down by race and ethnicity, there is an incredible racial disparity in Virginia right now. And to Reverend Dante's point, um, I feel that those same systemic factors are at play in the disproportionate infections of COVID in and, and particular communities. You know, the Black Latinx. and and communities we don't even have data for at the moment in Virginia. Um, So thank you so much for highlighting that. I wanted to go to a question from one of our viewers, Alan Chipman. Um, He has said here, how will evictions in the midst of a pandemic that is managed by shelter in place exacerbate the rise in new COVID cases as people are losing their shelter as we still have new cases on the rise? And how is this not being treated as a public health crisis as well? as a moral crisis. Reverend Dante, do you want to speak to that first?
4: <laughs> uh, um, I don't want to speak to it first. Um, you know, it, it is a public health issue. It is a public health crisis. It is a moral crisis. And we need to speak up more about it. And so he um, said, how it how would eviction and the pandemic be managed by shelter in place? To be honest with you, I really don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say to that. Um, I just think that, you know, I said something on yesterday. I mean, on the day before yesterday that I'll say again. And I don't know if this is the correct English for it, but we need that money. We need the money. We need the money and we need the money to be properly used. When I think about, you know, um, health disparities and I think about, you know, this pandemic that we're in, um, when COVID-19 first came about, you know, and Tent City was, you know, they were evicted. They were evicted and then they had nowhere to go. And, and and we gave money to organizations to house them. And people were, you know, people were, you know, positive for COVID-19. And they were placed in places together without the knowledge of them even being positive. And it was like they all put them in a community for everybody to get, you know, to get, you know, infected or whatever so you know mismanagement of funds misappropriation of funds you know all of that is an issue for me right now and so i'm i'm concerned about how we are using the funds i'm concerned about who is using the funds and and i you know i don't know I, I'm gonna just be quiet here. We need the money. We need the proper people using the money. Um, so when we talk about legislation and policy, I also talk about people who um who sit at the table and people who make the decisions. You know, I'm I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about that because our community is already suffering and we will suffer more. And then here comes more, you know, crime, here comes more, you know, hunger and things of that nature. So I, I, I don't know. I may have spoken all over the place, so I'm not even sure if I answer um, the question or not,
3: but that is my heart. And I don't, I'm not a public health expert. I would love to hear from public health experts on what this is really going to look like. And um, because, so one of the things that I think is, um, that, that makes me wonder is, you know, we hear things that I'm sure, you know, uh, communities of color have known about for a long time, but we hear um, some data actually showing that yes, the healthcare system um, discounts the pain of black women um, and and people of color, um, that they are treated for pain less than white people. And so I just wonder if these same institutionalized biases that, um, that, you know, make these folks suffer, because they're not considered as valuable or as worthy or trustworthy, um, you know. I wonder if those same assumptions are baked into this this other context. My, you know, I mean, it would not be a big surprise um, that um, that you know, if if the um, problem is really affecting um, really affecting people of color much more than uh, than white people, that it just doesn't get seen as as um, as important or as urgent.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, I think that there are people who want to hear a lot of this conversation, um, but are struggling with some of the finer points of, you know, I, maybe their family member is a landlord, maybe themselves, uh, they are a small landlord. So we have a question here from Kim Bobo, uh, what about small landlords who are struggling to pay their mortgages? And the sort of technical landscape of this, uh, what does it look like for them?
3: Well, so there are, there's a lot of relief available for them too. You know, I think the, um, that landlords and property owners, obviously they have a seat at the table um, that they have always had. I mean, there's a reason why our tax code uh, subsidizes home ownership. Um, and so uh, they are, are. there's a lot of relief that's available to them. Um, the legal system, the laws are set up to protect them as well in ways that, that the laws don't protect, say, other small business owners who maybe run a, a little store or a little uh, shop or something like that. Um, the, the law streamlines evictions in a way that it doesn't streamline other types of of business disputes, and so there you know we agree. I mean, there needs to be relief, and uh, needs to be for um, folks who are are having a hard time with their mortgage as well as renters. Um, but it need it, it can't just um, it, it can't just be um, left to renters to sort of um, scramble while the homeowners who uh, you know, are getting their piece of the pie or are getting their relief.
4: Right. And if I may, we also, I believe, of course, everybody needs to come to the table, the owner, the renter, you know, the homeless advocates, they all need to come to the table. We, you know, we figure out how we deal with this, be strategic, you know, involve and engage everyone. But we also, we will not forget that, you know, discrimination is is serious. So for the landlord that cries out, you know, struggle, I'm not saying that there is no struggle, but I am also saying that we have to be very careful, you know, crying victim when we really are the stronger one. And we understand that, you know, that the strong have a tendency to exploit the weak. And so we, we don't want to tiptoe around that either. You know, we don't want to tiptoe around that. And so the landlords, we love and we appreciate them, but we also have to be fair. If there's relief, you know, take the relief. Don't cry victim just because of greed.
1: Thank you so much for that. Um, Speaking of what can be done, right, I think that the picture that you all have um, so eloquently painted for us is that now is really a critical point in protecting so many Virginians. And so we are here today and people are watching on um, all of your opinions. What can be done by either the administration or by legislators in Virginia to prevent mass evictions from occurring?
2: I can start. Um, so we're called the Legal Aid Community, um, and in fact, um, the Virginia Interfaith um, Center through Vassir, um, we are still asking the governor to issue an executive order to stop evictions. Um, the buck stops with him. I think that he, um, the Attorney General's office, has issued a written opinion that states that he has the authority to do that, um, and people can reach out to the governor. Actually, our website um, has a place where you can email the governor to encourage him to issue an executive order. We're not asking for an indefinite order. We're asking for a bridge between now and until the General Assembly can act. Um, someone asked about federal versus state. The federal moratorium, first of all, it expired last um, this past weekend, um, and also it only covered one-fourth of the um, the covered property, so meaning the landlords in Virginia, and also when it comes to Congress passing something um, compared to the governor being able to prevent all of the kind of horrors that Reverend um, Dante just described, um, that can happen immediately with one pen stroke and that's what we're asking for. Um, And we're also asking people to reach out to their legislators, their local legislators to um, act in the in the special session in august um, and then even ask the legislators to push the governor to bridge that gap Um, we can prevent a lot more spending um, actually in the long term you know when it comes to homeless homeless services and the public health crisis that might spike because of increased homelessness by handling the situation in a preventative
3: manner so you know the the project that I run is the eviction legal helpline. That's a statewide resources that that anyone can call if they're facing potential eviction. They're a renter, if they're facing potential eviction. Um, there's a couple of things. First of all, we need volunteers. So um, every year, like on a good year in Virginia, there are over 150,000 eviction cases filed. Um, uh, the uh, the army of legal aid lawyers can only help about, on an average year, like six thousand um, people with landlord-tenant disputes. Only a thousand of those can they actually provide in-court representation. So there's an enormous need. The eviction legal helpline is set up so that volunteers can help with doing the intake. Volunteers attorneys attorneys can do the front-line um, legal advice for people, and then we um, we give uh, additional services as needed. But um, you can. Go to Eviction Legal Helpline there to sign up as a, learn about volunteering, sign up as a volunteer. Um, If you are a tenant and you've been to court recently on an eviction case, um, we have a little survey. We wanna hear what's going on throughout the state in the courts because some of these, I mean, there's new laws that were passed federal and state law that says um, that, that give tenants rights. And, um, and we're not seeing even um, administration or or um, those rights are not being evenly applied or evenly um, considered in the different courts. We need to know what's going on so that we can raise the alarm if something, um, if something needs to be improved.
2: And I just want to add, you know. Phil is carrying a very heavy weight for the state of Virginia in doing this this helpline. There is no right to counsel when it comes to um, landlord tenant court. Um, and so trying to have attorneys volunteer to the extent that they're willing, um, please do reach out to Phil and, and so we can actually try to carry this really heavy load.
1: That's amazing, thank you so much.
2: Reverend Dante, I wanted
1: to give, you know, some space also for you and for the faith voice or the faith community to talk about, you know, what can we do? How can we uh, support what is happening in communities around Virginia?
4: Um. Yeah, this is awesome. So this gives me a chance to um, give my scripture that I've been meditating on for the last week and a half. Psalms 82, starting at one, it said God calls the judges into his courtroom He puts all the judges in the dock. Enough. You've corrupted justice long enough. You've let the wicked get away with murder. You're here to defend the defenseless, to make sure that underdogs get a fair break. Your job is to stand up for the powerless and to prosecute all those who exploit them. I say we continue what we can do to help this situation is to continue to educate, continue to actively navigate, you know, to resources and systems and things of that nature, and also um, continue to advocate. Let's continue to, you know, put the word out, get the word out, educate people on what to do, how to do, get them to the different agencies and um, things that can help them. Also, that we would keep people um. um hearing the fact that we are to rule in a way to protect the vulnerable. We are to rule in a way to protect the vulnerable. And that is our cry forever. We cry it in the streets, we cry it in the churches, we cry it in the homes, we cry it in our communities as you know, my job as a community leader is to just keep making noise, you know, to just keep, you know, um Encouraging people, you know, to fight for what is right, to fight for what they want, and um, to as the Bible says, to cry loud. And you can still be my friend, but I will call you out if you're wrong. So that's just that. Amen.
1: Amen, Reverend Dante. <laughs> as someone who is not a person of faith, I was moved by that. So. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Um, We wanted to answer one more question here um, from Alan Chipman. On the federal level, we have a president who was investigated by the DOJ for discriminating against tenants of color while he was a landlord. President Trump is now in order to defend the suburban lifestyle dream is proudly rolling back the Obama-era anti-discrimination rule for effectively furthering fair housing. Uh, how will this make it harder to diversify where low-income housing is placed
2: as Ben Carson guts the Fair Housing Act? So um, I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised. Um, however, it was still very heartbreaking to see, especially some of those tweets that we saw. Um, I think last night um, here in Charlottesville and, I, and we're starting to work in Richmond as well, we've been looking at the... Um, I guess the tracing back of this eviction crisis back all the way to slavery times. Um, You know, when you talk about, you know, this is not a new eviction crisis and disproportionate impacts, I think the better way to frame it is that this was by design. And um, there's a famous book called The The Color of Law, and it talks about how all of the policies for the past several decades, centuries have been um, Policies of housing discrimination, but mainly of race discrimination. And um, the affirmatively fair uh, furthering fair housing law was a law that acknowledged that deep entrenched uh, racial discrimination in the housing law. Just to give you some examples, the first one would be: you know, there were clear very on the face, you know, laws that said uh, people who were of a certain race could not live in this neighborhood they and they have to live in this other neighborhood, that other neighborhood most of the time basically being an industrial area, right? So people living next to factories were mostly African-American and the suburban areas were reserved for white people. There were um, clear laws on the books that said that. When that was ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, There were other ways that people were able to get around that. The city, people would create racial covenants. And now, you know, all of those racial covenants, again, were illegal, but the vestiges of those discriminatory practices did not go away. Um, And so when you look at the maps of what the city of Richmond looks like and what the city of Charlottesville looks like, you can overlay that old discriminatory ordinance right on top of what our suburbs and our, discriminate, our, our segregation patterns look like today. It is by design. And what the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Law was trying to do was try to counteract that and say, we can create laws to try to encourage more affordable housing or even just more integration into the different areas of cities that have this history, this, this dark history of segregation. Um, And this was not just um, a huge legal, um, you know, barrier to enforcing the Fair Housing Act. Um, It's also just a signal to the whole country, you know, that racial justice doesn't matter to this administration. And it's a real shame.
4: Absolutely,
1: Reverend Dante. Did you want to
4: add to that? <laughs> I think it's going to be very hard um, to, you know, navigate. You know, being that this has been, this is happening or trying to happen. Um, we know that redlining and other, you know, policies. Um, segregated our communities, you know, and I call out, you know, Navy Hill and the Navy Hill Project. You know, we understand that Navy Hill was a was a beautiful Black community and look what happened. And then we want to come back, you know, and want to re, you know, do something. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, this is a plan and it, it is a tool and a plan to do the same. I believe this eviction thing as a tool and a plan to do the same, to segregate our communities and to tear our families apart. That's just how I feel. So I do believe that it is going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but it's just them continuing the plan that they've already had.
1: Yeah, and Phil, I also want to give you um, a moment if you wanted to add to... This this weighty last portion of our discussion here. Um, please feel free.
3: No, I'm just inspired by um, by the scripture that uh, Pastor Dante quoted and other scripture. You know, there's a I'm a person of faith, and um, and certainly over the past couple of years, um, I have been drawn to um, to my faith tradition and to the the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Um, the prophets are pretty. Um, are pretty plain about um, the issues that we're facing today, and that we that we face. Um, sadly, you know, over the past few years, it seems like um, we face new threats, or at least um, amplified threats. Um, you know, on a frequent basis. And um, I'm just I'm inspired by those um, those teachings and those prophecies that directly address exactly what we're facing. So I, I'm grateful for the Interfaith Center for Pastor Dante um, and all the others who are are connecting those dots. We need to. I
1: absolutely agree. Um, and to Reverend Dante's point, um, I also want to highlight that the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy sees this as being a critical moral issue for the faith community and for people of goodwill like myself might not uh, admit to a particular religion, right? This is an issue that affects our communities. And so we are asking for clergy or leaders of faith communities to sign on to a letter asking the governor to issue this eviction moratorium as well as fully fund the rent relief program that we have discussed on this program earlier. Uh, if you are a leader of a faith community or part of a faith community and you would like for your pastor or imam or a leader of your temple to sign on to this letter, please do so and you can connect with us directly if you um, miss this link. Um, in, in closing, Uh, I really wanted to say thank you so much, um, Phil, Elaine, Reverend Dante for your time and your expertise, um, and just tell you how much we appreciate you and all of the work that you're doing in this very critical moment.
3: Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for having us and for the work y'all are doing.
4: Yes, thank you guys, and I love you all. Virtual hug, <laughs> <laughs>
1: virtual hug, Reverend Dante. <laughs> Thank you all so much, um, and be blessed. Um, and we will be back with a, the same t- uh, the same subject tonight, everyone. But for people who are Spanish speakers, uh, you will be here with with Phil Story again, and also Edgar Arandaiano from the Legal Aid Justice Center. So that's at five o'clock tonight, and we'll see you there. Thanks, everyone.